Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week, I'm your host, Charles Maxwood, and we are talking to Leo Chan. Leo, do you want to say hi? Let everybody know who you are, why you're famous, all that stuff. <laughs> well, I am not that famous, <laughs> but yeah, I got infected by five hours um, a few months ago, and because I wrote a blog post, get rid of steam demons with OOP in Angular. Yeah, I wrote this post because I was working on a problem and my company is a healthcare startup, Lintas. When I was working on a feature, it's a dashboard that has mm-hmm. 10 plus metrics and each metrics have very similar data visualizations. They have almost identical dimensions that people, people can play with the data with. And it, they also have many different filters that they can filter and solve data with. But one thing is that all the metrics, they're very similar. There are a few metrics containing some unique features and uh-huh. containing some dimensions. So at the beginning, I was handling these edge cases with a bunch of new statements, and it was it was fine because at the beginning, their unique cases are only a few. Uh, for example, for when the user uh, selects a certain time or a certain future, it debate a certain data visualization, and right. it is a little bit a little bit different for other metrics. Hey, folks! This is Charles Maxwood from Top End Dev, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Dev. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com/podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So it was easy with just a few statements in a service or a component, but it soon it becomes a little bit unmanageable because after we released their feature, we wanted to add more unique um, dynamics to each metric. Right. For example, when uh, when I was working on that feature, right after the feature was released, COVID hit us. And because um, we were working with the hospital systems, we wanted to release a feature to go go through the COVID phase. So um, what we wanted to do was to help hospital to see future operating room volume. So particular feature require a unique data visualization compared to other metrics. Mm-hmm. So because it only exists in one very specific setting in one metric, it creates one more edge cases. And this kind of edge cases just kept piling up as the times go. 
So I had to write even more statements in the surfaces uh, sometimes. <laughs> so, and with just cases, in many places, things become um, unmanageable very easily. Right. So I brainstormed a little bit and consult my teammates. And then I came up with this OOP approach. So for each metrics, I created TypeScript objects. Mm-hmm. And each object has the unique logic that I need to display one particular, to display data, the data visualization that I want. Mm-hmm. And also, if uh, simple stuff like displaying their um, different names for different metrics. So I'm a little curious as we dive into this, because, yeah, I mean, I think my first instinct would, yeah, just to be, go with, to be going with if statements, because it's, it's simple. But... Yeah, I'm I'm having a little trouble just visualizing how how this approach eliminates the if statements, right? It makes it more uh, robust or more testable, more approachable. Yeah. So think about we have like ten if statements, and each if statement have um like more nested if statement, right? When and they all live in one single file. And when I touch some statements in uh, in one file, uh-huh. sometimes it's that it would break other part of the codes because they are in the same file and the logic for each metric is not encapsulated to one particular file. Okay. So yeah, so by separate by separating the logic for each metrics into one file, help me uh-huh. encapsulate the logic for each I metric. Gotcha. So did those all wind up in separate services then? Or was it more on the component level that you split things up or how did that all work? Yeah, so I moved the logic to a plain TypeScript object. Oh, okay. And yeah, so when the component is initialized in NJ on init, I create the object based on polymorphism. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I'm kind of getting the picture here. And then you take whatever data you get back from that object and you put it into the visualization. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. For example, like there is a certain UI I don't need uh-huh. for when one particular filter is displayed. So there's some logic NGF statement in the TypeScript object when a certain filter is used. The NGF logic is returned false by using the TypeScript object logic. Right. So how do you test it then? Do you just have a whole bunch of tests around because I'm imagining that you still have to test if this, then this, if this, then this, right? Yeah. So testing plain object is... Yeah, my headset died. TypeScript object is pretty easy. So when we test components, we need to create test bed to set up, make sure other services are injected. Sometimes it's quite um, hassle to do that. But when we test a plain TypeScript object, all we needed to do was create a object and then call those function and feed the right data to the functions in the object uh-huh. and as the returning data from the function. Okay. Now, do you have some back-end logic or back-end query that you translate things to, or is, is all the data kind of loaded in and then filtered on the front end? Yeah. Well, most data are loaded in, in the front end. Yeah. I gotcha. So as you've kind of built this out and taken this approach, have you seen any other side effects in your code as far as it simplified this or made this harder or 
we had to work things this way and in some other way. I don't know. One thing I realized was it made their code base larger, like because for each metrics it's one file and it used to be just one file of a surface. It it doesn't look very nice like in the code base side, but I think it was worth it to create more files uh-huh. because it encapsulates uh, logic very well. Yeah. Right. No, that that mar- that much of it makes a lot of sense to me, just in the sense that, yeah, the, it's not so complicated that I have to keep track of a ton of stuff in my head when I'm trying to figure out what's going on. But yeah, I mean, there are always drawbacks to putting stuff into more files because there are more places to keep track of for the overall feature, right? Yes. I think it's interesting, too, that this turned out to not be like, uh, hey, we use this feature in Angular, right? You just you, you rearrange some logic in TypeScript. And I'm wondering, have, have you seen this approach taken in other languages, frameworks, systems, things like that? I've seen in Angular is they not a plain TypeScript object. I've seen my coworkers to um, that they write some parents come and then they and then they inherit their parent component to other components so that their their child components can share some logics. Yeah. And yeah, that's uh, that's the closest that I've seen. Yep, makes sense. I kind of want to change gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about uh, the dashboard in general. Mm. This This is something that I'm starting to get into. I'll admit I'm a little bit weird, picky. I don't know, with the way that certain tools work for me with the podcast, right? And I just haven't been entirely happy with the information I get from my podcast hosting company, right? And so I keep thinking, oh, well, what if I built myself a better dashboard, right? The other thing is, is that the dashboards don't tend to incorporate all of the information I need, right? So like the the hosting company gives me dashboards on like how many downloads and who downloads. But then I also want to be able to see like which episodes are sponsored and I want to be able to see where things are in certain places in the process and stuff like that. So I'm a little curious as you build out a dashboard, because it sounds like you've been working on one for a while. Do you have any tips or tricks on making a dashboard useful or easy to to kind of at a glance get the information you need? One thing we have is so our dashboard is a bunch of tiles and each mm-hmm. tile each tiles contains a trend graph and a number that summarize, for example, like the case volume of a operating rooms. Right. And over like through the past thirty days we display how how many cases a hospital has, right? Right. Also display the trend of increase or decrease of cases. So it summarizes it, it summarizes one thing very well, and uh-huh. it gives the user a very quick insight to see how their system is performing. Right. And really add, add more features. So in, in our app, we have one large hospital system can have many locations for mm-hmm. um, any service lines. Right. Uh, like every line. So with filters, management level can drill down to one particular mm-hmm. service line very quickly and figuring out what type of filters we provide to the user is also very important because is when we build a dashboard it usually very unique to wait one type of user right so asking the user what they want is important yeah. that makes sense 
And I can kind of see that on my end too, right? Because I have podcast hosts. I have people on my team who care about different things. Uh, the sponsors care about different things. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? If they're mm-hmm. not if they're not sponsoring the episode, they probably don't care as much about how much traffic it got unless they missed an opportunity on it, for example. So so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Huh. That that helps already. Do you find that certain types of visualizations work better one way or the other? So for example, tables versus graphs versus charts versus mm. whatever. Mm-mm. Yeah. So we like we build our in-house data visualization. Mm-hmm. So this one type that we like the most is comparison type of graph. So imagine a horizontal a horizontal bar chart. So they're right. just bar and then going to the from from left to right or right to left. Right. right? But for a comparison type of bar bar chart, there are two bars from going from the left to to right and also a bar going from right to left. Mm-hmm. And each side represent a data from the past right. and the other side represent the data at the present. So or, or like a closer date, like mm-hmm. two time comparison. So com- comparing their data in two different time ranges as and their, our users to visualize out their hospital performance a lot. And it I the most important thing for data visualization is make their data make the visualization actionable. They shouldn't mm-hmm. be just like it shouldn't be just like CSV, like a right. plain data and then I throw it to you, you figure it out what to do. It shouldn't be like that. It should be when I see some data visualization, I know, oh something's wrong here. Mm-hmm. Then I'm, it should be very fast. They're actionable. So and we thought the comparison type graph was it the um it helped. Yeah. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah, that makes sense because then you can see, hey, this is lower than this, right? Or this is higher than this, or, you know, in other words, this is moving up, this is moving down. This is not as high as it needs to be, right? So maybe you have some other line on the chart that says, hey, we're targeting to get higher than this and it's not. And then, yeah, you you can take whatever action you need to, right? We need to schedule more people into operating rooms or we need to, yeah, we need to work with our doctors to be more efficient with this or that. Yeah, another thing is using colors is very useful. Using so what? Colors. Colors, right. Colors were very useful. Like it like going up is green, going down is red, but some for, for us, some metrics going uh-huh. up is actually bad. So right. going going up, going up should be uh, red. But uh-huh. um and having this because when when we look at like data visualization data visualization colors is probably the first thing we realize. 
not so much the numbers that associated with their visualization. Mm-hmm. So seeing what colors like play the most in a graph, right, help us understand health very quickly. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I mean, I may have a target and I may not be reaching that target, but yeah, whether or not I'm moving toward the target makes yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to affect, right? I can't change the past, but I can definitely try and make that line go up, right? By doing something different or something extra. Yes. I like that. What what stack are you using for your data for your data visualizations? Like what charting libraries or whatever? Well the project that we I was discussing, um, we built it in-house and for we also use D three and charge.js and right. they were useful makes sense i mean i've picked up all kinds of different stuff over the years so they're all mostly the same dare i say that (laughs) oh yeah more or less they're the same is there is i think chart.js and the three they're very good documentations Mm -hmm. yeah um, which make a huge difference yep very cool so is is there anything that you're working on now anything that you're you've got coming up that you're excited about or I have heard people talk about micro frontend. Mm-hmm. I wonder. I wonder. Look. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think we've talked about that on JavaScript Jabber a bit. The micro frontends, but I don't think we've mm-hmm. done it here. So that might be interesting to talk about. Yeah, how that works and how you build micro frontends with Angular. Have you done much with it, or are you just still getting into it? Heard a bit, and I recently bought a book about it, and that's what I'm gonna do for the for the rest of the holidays. Oh, nice. Read the book. Yeah. Cool. Sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else that you want to cover or anything else that you want to talk about that we didn't cover before we jump into picks? I I think that's... Uh, I wanted to add that about the OOP approach. I think uh-huh. it, it like helped me see Angular in a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So the, the way I used to do it was like really playing services, component, and then test cases. Right. Um, some, sometimes if they're logic is not complicated, I might add some logic in HTML. And if the features are even more complicated, I might add uh, NGRX for state management. Mm-hmm. So that they're not, they're, com- they're complex, but they're not OOP type of complex. Uh, right. They're pretty vertical. Um, like you go from one layer to another layer, one layer to another layer. But when I did the OOP approach, it made me thing like it's it's like a brand new approach compared to like state management because things are the logic they move under the flow mm-hmm. of the logic move differently. Right. So it has helped me to brainstorm like more creatively mm-hmm. in other features. For example, I was working on some form controls mm-hmm. and one in Angular's Angular's form control I would out of the box, they have their dirty flag, right? So mm-hmm. when user touch a form control, their flag is turned to be true, right? And some, but it doesn't do deep data comparison. Like, uh-huh. let's say I change a name in one form, it doesn't it doesn't compare the data in the previous, right? Like, like the typed input, right? And it's something that we needed to do for our forms. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a parent component to perform deep comparison with their Lodash library. And it's pretty simple logic. It wasn't very many lines of codes, right? But uh-huh. I put those logic in a parent component and then shared, shared it with 
other child components with inheritance. Right. And is something that I um like something that services like a plain services or NGRX, they cannot provide this kind of dynamic. And if they think provide it, but they're not as simple as extend a parent component and then that's all I need to do. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that. But when I had a parent component, that's all I need to do. Right. Then everything is done. Um and it has been working for me very well in my company because I started to do, I wrote it that parent component for a, couple of, for a couple of components at first. And right now I've been using it for like many other components. Yeah. And yeah, that's all. Yeah. I want to talk about That's cool. And I, I like, I like using mechanisms like inheritance. I tend to prefer composition, but sometimes, I mean, it's nice to just to be able to go, yeah, just inherit the behavior from this other thing you know, do what it does and, you know, just have it behave the way you want. It It's also interesting that you're kind of uh, reworking some of the dirty checking that the Angular does. I've seen people get into trouble doing that. So it's interesting that you've been able to make it work the way you want, which is different from the way that Angular does it. Mm. Yeah, we didn't want to generate data log just because UI change. Because whenever uh-huh. we, we change something in the UI, we wanted to log what has changed. And we need to do deep comparison to prevent logs that we don't want. Right. Nope, that makes sense. And I didn't realize that Angular just flagged it when you touched it. So even if you didn't actually change anything. Mm, yeah. So that that's also interesting because, yeah, you know, I, I can see that it'd be more efficient to actually look at it and say, is this the same as it was? Yes. Okay. Mm. Very cool. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or... If you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All right, well, I'm going to move us into the, the final segment of the show, which is picks, and picks is just stuff you like, stuff that you're enjoying, stuff that uh, is, you know, making you happy. I'll kind of go, I'll go first and I'll give you kind of an idea of what we do here. So one of the first things that I'm going to pick is I always do a board game pick. My wife got me one called Forbidden Desert for Christmas. If you've played Forbidden Island, I guess I have to pick that one too, because we've had that one for a while. But Forbidden Island, the way that it works is effectively the premise of the game is, is that you've crashed on a desert island, or in this case, you've crashed in the middle of the desert for Forbidden Desert. And so you've got each person has a different role that they have. And so they can all do different things above and beyond what everybody can do. And so as you move through the desert, what you're doing is you're uncovering different artifacts that are part of an airship that you're going to use to fly out. And so you go and you sweep the sand off of different parts of this buried city, and then you excavate the parts of the city. And as you do that, uh, you'll start to uncover clues as to where the different pieces of the airship are. And then you go and you pick up the pieces of the airship and you take them back to the launch pad and you put the airship together and you fly out. That's how you win. And it's pretty fun, right? Because you have to coordinate with everybody else, right? So you have like the water water carrier. So, you know, as the sun beats down on people, you lose water. And if anybody loses all their water, then they die. And if somebody dies, you lose, right? If you run out of, uh, as the sandstorm moves through, if this, you run out of sand to place on there, you lose, right? In other words, the sand levels have just become so overwhelming that you're, you know, you can't find what you need. 
anyway, it's it's a lot of fun. We really had a good time playing it. And so I'm going to pick that game, uh, Forbidden Desert. And then I just wanted to shout out again about uh, Top End Devs, still working on that. You can go sign up, become part of the community. I also have a community phone number. So if you want to uh, get hear from me about what's going on with it, it is 801-877-3287. If you're in the U.S. and you text that number, if you try calling the number, you're going to get a voicemail message that says that I can't check those voicemails. And I don't. I don't check the voicemails on that number. But you can text me and I can text you back. And it, it's, it's a pretty nice way of just staying in touch with people without like overwhelming my cell phone. It, so I'm, I'm using a third party service for it. But anyway, it it's pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that. So and that's through community.com. But anyway, that phone number is kind of the best way to, to stay in touch. And then if you get on, then it'll give you access to if you go to top end devs and just sign up, it'll give you access to the Slack channel. And we're getting some video series together so that you can learn like VS code and We're going to talk about career and how to thrive in your career, right? How to become a top 5% developer, stuff like that. So if you're looking for something like that, then go check that out. And then one other thing I just want to throw out there is, is that one of the things that I tell people to do is to publish every week. And I am working on doing some focused coaching on getting you launched with your podcast and your first 500 listeners, which actually puts you in the top like 5% of podcasts out there if you have 500 listeners. So again, it's the top 5%. That's kind of my deal, right? You want to be in the top 5% of of whatever you're in. So if you're interested in starting a podcast and having me coach you through the process of setting up and running your podcast so that you can get there, I'm also open to helping you make connections with other people who would be good guests and stuff like that. I've done this for a number of people and really facilitated them getting it launched and running pretty quick, you know, within a few months. So if you're interested in that, then go to topendevs.com slash podcast, or you can go to podcastplaybook.co. And I'm really looking forward to working with people there. And and those are my picks. So I'm just going to shout out about all that stuff. But yeah, the, the board game's real fun. So I'm going to pick that. Leo, do you have some picks? Yeah, outside of the tag is recently I've been reading a personal finance book, which that for that. Oh, so it's, good. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> It is also thing that they, it's not just about the techniques to invest. It's also about how we think about our lives, yeah. right? What, what, one phrase he, uh, I just read about last night. Let me kind of recall this correctly is don't, don't be afraid to lose. Uh, although everybody hates lose. But <laughs> and if you want to be succeed, like winners are people who are not great and it's, but it's okay to hate losing. It's how it's about how you manage it. It's very powerful statements, I think, and it just it just it doesn't just apply to finance. It's, it applies to everything in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what my other picks about? I talked about microfinance. front end. It's something that my other coworkers were looking into too. That's why I also bought a book about it and spending time on it for the rest of their holidays. Very cool. Yeah. And what's the book that you picked up? Who's it by? It was Micro Front End in Action. That's the name of the book. Oh, okay. So it's a Manning title. Cool. Well, I'll find it and put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here, but uh, thanks for coming. This was a lot of fun. To everybody else, until next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.